Come on. The time is right. The time is now. Welcome to Lifeblood. Be well. Welcome our guest, strong and powerful Nushim Hashemi. Welcome, Nushim. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you on. Nushin is the founder and CEO of January. They are a seed stage precision health tech company that harnesses the power of artificial intelligence to, pre- to prevent, predict, postpone, and manage chronic disease. Nushin, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Okay. Well, I'm a tech veteran, um, angel investor. I've been a philanthropist, wife, mother of two amazing kids. Um, daughter, sister, social entrepreneur, and entrepreneur. Um, I'm really proud of what we're doing at January right now. Um, we are um, helping people f- on the diabetes spectrum get to know their bodies really, really well and to fine-tune their bodies to be able to manage, um, uh, to be able to really optimize their lifestyle, to feel good, and to... Um, improve their underlying conditions and, um, have, you know, be more metabolically healthy. Um, and I do this cause I'm really, really obsessed with prevention. Um, some of the, my own health journey, but also those of my parents, some of my family members, um, I think finding out, um, too late, uh, it's really, you know, doesn't leave you many choices. The trade-offs are really poor. Basically the later you find out the poorer your trade-offs, um, the earlier you find out the more choices, you have. So if you, um, you know, if you mind your diet a little bit in your old age, you don't have to like never eat salt, you know, um, you don't have to get sort of heart disease to then never be able to enjoy something. So um, I really believe in moderation and kind of going, starting a little bit early, be, you know, make prevention um, a motto. And I know it's hard, but I think these days with the existence of wearables, we're able to see inside our bodies and we can see how things are going. So we have very, very specific things to react to and very specific things to improve so that we can take prevention, um, not as a, just a generic concept, but as a very, very specific thing that we can do to help ourselves live um, better and have better health span. I love it. So I certainly, I'm pretty sure that we have an absolute, I was going to say pandemic, endemic, huge, massive problem with 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 uh, with uh, people being overweight, obese, and, and and diabetes. But give me the stats or, oh, or yeah. what 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 you're focused on. Yeah, so obesity, thirty eight percent of the population, um, thirty four million people with diabetes, twenty two percent of them aren't even diagnosed. So talk about a pandemic that can come in and take your life when you don't even know you have an underlying condition. Something like 88 million people have prediabetes. Um, 84% of them don't even know it. They have not been diagnosed. It's not part of just, unless you get sick and go in and complain, no one's even checking to see if you may be um, having diabetes or, or prediabetes. So half of the adult US population has diabetes or prediabetes today. So 122 million people. Um, and we know that people with prediabetes, if they don't do something about it, they can develop diabetes. Um, we know we know exactly because we know of the diabetes prevention study of 2002 showed that 58% of the people, unless they 
um, took on a serious intervention, which in that case meant weight loss, um, would end up with diabetes. Um, so it's a pretty real thing. And even since I've started, the numbers have, have gone up. And, and, you know, obesity is going up everywhere in the world um, and diabetes is, is correlated with it. So it's really not just a problem in the United States, but it's a problem across the world. Um, and it's a, it's a problem that affects us in so many ways that we don't even realize. Uh, of course, comorbidities are really a big problem. Um, usually you don't just get one illness. You get one illness as you get sicker, you pick up other ones. Um, you know, there are a lot of people not even qualifying right now for the armed forces because they are, have obesity and they, um, you know, it, it, it really affects us in so many ways. It, it, it affects us in national defense. It affects us in, in many ways. Um, and what a product like ours um, does, it really helps people understand their bodies and learn, um, for example, um, what are the foods that are spiking their blood sugar in a big way, how to hack those foods, either eat them a little differently or replace them with other foods, uh, it helps them understand how much fiber they're eating. Fiber is essential to health. Fiber is essential to, to staving off inflammation and chronic diseases. And our ancestral diets um, had like 150 grams of fiber a day. And the average American is, is eating 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day. Um, so you do have a lot of inflammation. You have a lot of, you have a lot of problems. So our product helps you figure out how much fiber you're eating, uh, recommends that you eat more. Um, suggests ways that you can add fiber to your food. It tells you um, when and how much to work out, to be active. It teaches you intermittent fasting um, and so many other things. So we're very focused on um, A, helping people learn about their bodies, B, giving them very specific levers to pull, to tune their lifestyle. And uh, three, to live with joy in the real world, as in do not deprive people and do not tell them, you know, just, you know, my solution is you just drop 50 pounds. That's it. I, I have no other solution for you or um, no refined flour, no refined sugar, um, lots of vegetables, walk 10,000 steps. Well, not everyone can do that. They don't have the time to do that. Um, they don't necessarily have the training to do that. I've struggled with that myself. I know it's really a challenge to, to be able to act on any of those recommendations because they're super generic they're super draconian, you know, just drop 25 pounds, everything else will work out. It's true. It's true that if you drop weight, all of your markers will look better. That's a fact. But that generic solution doesn't fit for everyone. And I think we need to give people more specific things they can do as opposed to just these, these kind of um, uh, one size fits all advice that people then find uh, they can't keep up with. Amen. Half of the population is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. If, if I do become diabetic, mm -hmm. is that forever or can I become no longer diabetic? Well, it really depends what stage um, you're at. I think if you, if, you, if you have diabetes and you have advanced diabetes and you, you're, you're, you've lost pancreas function and you have comorbidities, that's going to be very difficult to, to reverse. Uh -huh. You can't, if you're, your pancreas is not producing um, insulin or not producing enough of it or not producing it fast enough. Um, you can't, that's not something you can really reverse. Um, but in terms of uh, very superficially looking at diabetes, so basically they, um, the current standard of care says that if you have 
um, if you're over uh, A1C of 5.7, you have you are in pre-diabetes range. And if you're over A1C of 6.5, you're in the diabetes range. Fact is we are on spectrum. People, yes, your blood test does just say that, but A1C is a 90 day average um, number. Um, but we do, we have seen people, uh, you know, somebody could go under extreme stress into a hospital and have blood glucose of 200 two days in a row, which would qualify you as someone with diabetes, but that doesn't mean they really have diabetes. So sure. there, there's a little bit of gray around here, but in terms of um, if you just get diabetes or if you have, you know, is it possible to improve insulin sensitivity? 100%. Yes. Um, there are several things, for example, an intervention is the combination of intermittent fasting and calorie restriction. So essentially you are eating, uh, you're increasing your fasting period versus your eating period. Um, you've heard people say about 16 and eight, you know, some people are eating 16 hours a day and they're just not eating for eight hours when they're sleeping. Um, so you could slowly begin to increase that, um, increase that time where you're not eating. So you could slowly go to, you know, not eating for nine hours, not eating for 10, not eating for 11, et cetera. And the great thing, George, is that it doesn't cost any money. It just takes incredible willpower. Um, and it also, uh, with products like January, you learn how to fast because you can see your, your blood sugar is still in the safe range. It's okay to fast. You're not going to die. Nothing terrible is going to happen here. <laughs> and if you don't have diabetes, um, uh, if your blood sugar goes down a little bit, nothing terrible happens. Of course, if you have type one diabetes, you don't want to have, have, have that happen. Right. Um, but uh, so basically if you don't have advanced diabetes, you can, uh, the combination of, for example, intermittent fasting, and then, uh, and so increasing your fasting period and then restricting your calories. So not great if you're doing, you know, 16 hour fast or 14 hour fast or 12 hour fast, and then having two pizzas. Um, that's not great, but if you do intermittent fasting and you do calorie restriction, which by the way, happens naturally because your stomach shrinks and you just don't feel like eating that much. Sure. But if you hold to that, and if you are, you know, if you exercise, practice mindful eating, and just because you always got together with your friends, you always had many pizzas uh, that you're going to do that again. If you really are listening to your body and you do exercise, uh, your, you know, you practice your intermittent fasting with calorie restriction your underlying physiology does in fact improve and you can become, um, you know, it can improve your insulin sensitivity. So yes, in some ways you can um, then take a blood test, you know, your, uh, and see that your A1C has gone down. And by the standard of care definition, you're no longer diabetic. But if you have advanced in diabetes and you are now receiving some kind of assistance, like, uh, some kind of an insulin assistance, um, then, then reversing it is becoming harder and harder in that stage. Got it. Well, that certainly does make sense. So 88 million people are pre-diabetic. Let's just maybe focus on that number because that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big, uh, mm -hmm. that's a massive number of people. And mm -hmm. I always am, in, I, I want to be kind and to be sensitive. I also fancy myself a pragmatic person. Mm -hmm. It's it's like a boiling frog, right? The frog mm -hmm. doesn't realize that it's being cooked to death. Well, mm -hmm. if I am pre-diabetic and I am 88 million people, if I'm one of those people, mm -hmm. 
is it, it's a function of, I don't understand mindful eating. I don't understand intermittent fasting. I, I don't get exercise or I, I, I understand it. I'm just choosing not to do it. How, how I, 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 I'm looking at or thinking about January as a way to, for lack of a better term, gamify this whole process. So to make it a lot more interactive than simply, okay, I'm now going to be mindful about eating. Okay, now, now I'm fasting. What are your thoughts on that? There are a number of things. Um, one is certainly the, the, the education is definitely an issue. I've, I have uh, I, people seek me out, you know, if I'm in a social setting or something like that, sometimes people come to me and want to talk to me quietly, telling me that they have diabetes or they've just been diagnosed with diabetes. What will they do? And uh, I said to one of them, well, um, what, what are you eating for breakfast? And he said, um, this person has a master's degree. They hold a very, um, very high position in a, you know, very fortune 10 company. Um, and they said, uh, well, I have orange juice and toast and uh, butter and jam. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, orange juice is one of the highest kind of glycemic, high, high glycemic index foods that you could possibly eat. And he said, but it's fresh squeezed. Mm. And so, um, so, so I think, <clears throat> um, so I think education is definitely part of it. People just don't literally realize that fruit, fruit, just fr fruit sounds so innocent. And we love fruit because it tastes good because also fruit is good for you because it has a lot of fiber. But we have to recognize that certain foods, like some watermelon, it's just crack for most people. Now, I want to say I am coming from a company where we believe in, you know, we are trying to cater to N of one, meaning just one person. So it's highly, highly personalized to you. Most people, though, we will, I will reckon that most people will um, have a bit of a spike on a uh, high sugar melon, such as watermelon. Sure. Um, and uh, like orange juice, just just well known that if you give it to many, many different people under many, many different circumstances, most people will spike on, on orange juice if they had it by itself. So I think part of it is education, just understanding what spikes you. Um, somebody walked over to my co-founder, Mike Snyder, who has diabetes, uh, and said, Mike, I'm eating really healthy, just salad and fish, salad and fish, salad and fish all the time. Why am I spiking? I'm wearing a CGM. It shows me I'm spiking. And Mike said, well, what else are you eating with it? He said, nothing, just salad and fish, salad and fish. And Mike said, well, okay, break it down for me. It's fish. Like, how are you cooking it? What are you? Anyway, the guy was drenching his salad in balsamic vinegar. Mm. <clears throat> and that's where, that's where uh, the spike was coming from. So I think part of it is literally just education. People just don't, a lot of food seem totally innocent. Like what's wrong with oatmeal? It's supposed to be good for you. It's high fiber, it's supposed to lower your cholesterol. Yes, but it will spike the hell out of your sugar. So I think what we want to do is educate people more. First of all, we have to get away from these one size fits all um, kind of silver bullet kind of things. Sure. Um, also, we have to recognize that, you know, certain things, yes, one food may have great fiber. That's amazing, but they may spike your blood sugar. Or you take a statin to lower your cholesterol, but it's going to increase your risk for diabetes. There are no really free, you need to learn the, the, the real, you need to learn your body and then you need to learn the trade-offs between things to decide if this is the right thing for you to do or not. So why do we have 88 million people with prediabetes? Well, we do have high obesity, that's a factor. Um, we do have very, very little uh, education around food. Um, 
for example, uh, medical schools offer um, very little uh, nutrition information to doctors. So doctors are not used to even discussing nutrition with people. So we're not really pulling that prevention lever um, very much. Um, foods are not labeled. That's really a big deal. Um, only chain restaurant foods and grocery items are labeled. So everything you eat in your mom and pop shop is not labeled. So people mm -hmm. don't know that this milkshake they're about to have has 1200 calories, 1200 calories. I saw this myself actually at a chain restaurant at a burger joint, it said apple pie milkshake. And I thought that just sounds phenomenal. Um, but, but they did report the calories. And once I saw it was 1200 calories, I thought, okay, I'll take a sip from my son's milkshake. I'm not going to order a whole one for myself. Um, so I don't have to, you know, deny myself, but I don't need to drink a whole milkshake. Um, so, um, so, uh, so what else? Uh, a lot of our foods, uh, frankly, are created for just they're not, you know, as you know, fuel foods there, there's a food is entertainment um, in our country. <laughs> and, sure. in, and so a lot of our packaged foods are at fault. The packaged foods have low fiber and uh, they are high in salt, sugar, and fat. Um, so I think that's another thing that's making us sick. There is no question that our food is making us sick. In fact, the food industry is committed to, uh, you know, what's called bliss point, as you know, just the perfect combination of salt, fat, and sugar to keep us addicted to foods. Um, so too much of our foods are getting made in the lab. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we ran a clinical trial when we were developing our, our initial algorithm, and uh, it showed that the amount of fiber people were eating was, was, um, was exactly the opposite. You know, it was, it was uh, 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 exactly the opposite of income that they had. So, so the less, the poorer you are in this country, the less fiber you're eating. <laughs> and this is another one of the major reasons why we're seeing this kind of, um, you know, um, decline in our health and in our society. So there are many, many factors um, that we can, many of them are societal factors that are structural factors that need to be solved from a structural standpoint. We can label foods, we can increase, um, we can in increase uh, nutrition, uh, education in college, in med medical schools, we can uh, give funding for nutrition science. You know, people are still confused. Is caffeine good or bad? Is chocolate sure. good or bad? Is right. like, we should, we should invest in, in food science and have objective reporting, scientific reporting on some of these things. Um, the answer is it really depends on your particular circumstances, but I think we do too often. We've been sold a bill of goods, um, by big food as well. So I think they need to be held accountable. Um, uh, so there are lots sure. of things that we can do that are, that are, that are societal. Um, and I think the incentives that insurance companies are giving people for living healthier is brilliant. Incentives work. They just do. I guess my first love before, before um, health was economics. Incentives work, period. So if we can, if we can, you know, encourage people to pay attention, uh, just the same way a credit score works to get you to drive, um, to, to get you to, to um, you know, be responsible with your payments, just the way that um, you are, you know, people put trackers on cars to, to watch for speed and things like that. Once you get more data, you can close the human behavior loop. And right now, right now, today, with heart rate monitors, like Apple Watch, Fitbit, Whoop, Ura, with continuous glucose monitors, we already have enough data 
to be able to see what's going on inside people's bodies. Um, and then if we add food, which is what is January's gift is we have made food into actionable health data. We have labeled foods, 16 million foods in Yelp. We have labeled those. We have also added glycemic index and glycemic load to foods. So once you add that data and you can track what people are eating, you can immediately dial. Basically, you can see what foods are spiking them, trying to hack those. You can figure out how to deal with those. You know, one of the brilliant things that our company does, because we're an AI company, we uh, can we can essentially predict um, what the person's glycemic response is going to be, but blood sugar response is going to be to any food after four days of training. Amazing. And we can tell them, yeah, it is really, it is really phenomenal. We can also tell them um, what impact um, it would have on their blood sugar if they walked, let's say 10 minutes or 25 minutes. So they can see exactly what they need to do to bring that blood sugar back into a healthy range. So we have the information. This can all be gamified, used by payers, by, by insurers um, very, very easily. So I think that's another lever that can be used by the private sector because the answer is somewhere between the private sector and government policies. Um, um, uh, you know, those are the biggest levers. I mean, philanthropy is important, but never as big as the other two. So how, how does January actually work? So you, um, you go to um, our website, january.ai, and you take a um, telemedicine questionnaire uh, for a visit with a doctor who determines if you can benefit from getting a continuous glucose monitor. And then um, uh, you go through a transaction, you receive continuous glucose monitors, you need to have a, a heart rate monitor uh, to use the January product. So you need to currently wear either an Apple Watch or a Fitbit. Um, and then uh, you download the app once you've received your CGMs and you hook up your, your two hardware um, pieces that you have, your CGM and your heart rate with the January app, you start logging your food after four days of baseline information. So we just want you to live totally normally the way you normally live, anything that you normally do for the first four days so that we can um, figure out what your baseline is essentially. And then we, get, we, we start a series of experimentations that, um, that help people experientially figure out what works for them and doesn't work for them. One of the, one of the experiments, for example, is a breakfast experiment where um, for four days you're eating your normal breakfast, whatever it is, so we know what that is. And then we do give you a sugar shot, which is 75 grams of sugar. It's almost like two Coca-Colas. I think a Coca-Cola has what, 45 grams of sugar or something like that. This is 75 grams of sugar. And so you take that, so um, we can see the impact on your blood sugar. And then another day we, we suggest that you make a very low glycemic load uh, breakfast. So something like eggs with, cheese and, uh, you know, so it's basically fiber, protein and, and um, fat uh, kind of breakfast. And then we, we compare these breakfasts for you. So this is your breakfast. This is pure sugar. And this is a very, very low uh, glycemic index breakfast. And you can see if your breakfast resembles more, <laughs> which one it resembles more. <laughs> and you can see that the differences between these things on your blood sugar. So so we're all about experiential learning rather than tell you, talk down at you, talk at you, uh, patronize you, give you random generic advice. It's like, hey, figure it out for yourself. Let's see the breakfast you're eating. How does it compare to pure sugar? How does it compare to a very low carb sugar, uh, breakfast? Um, and so you can figure out what do you need to tune. And how are you able, you're able to do that just by the heart rate monitor? 
We're able to do that um, with um, a heart rate monitor and a continuous glucose monitor. Um, but so how, how we can do that? But how we can do that is three and a half years of research. That's how we do that. So we we start we set out specifically. It was our vision to not just throw CGMs onto people. So everyone knows CGMs are very, very cool. Continuous glucose monitors are a fantastic technology. They've been around for 20 years or more, actually. Um, and uh, they are really magical themselves. You, you put it on, you can see what's happening to your blood sugar up and down. That's great. That's fantastic. Is it enough? No, it actually isn't enough because you don't actually know what's causing things to go up and down. And that's where the data synthesis and analysis comes in. That's where January comes in. So we feel that at least two other pieces of data you need to know is, is people's heart rate and what people are eating. Because if you know what people are eating, you also know how much fiber they're eating. Fiber is critical to glycemic response. It's critical. So it's been empirically proven um, that you can improve your blood sugar response the more if you have more fiber in your body from the last 24 hours. Um, so that's really, really, really important. So what we have done is besides essentially building a huge um, database of foods, including the foods in Yelp and you know recipes, millions of recipes, et cetera, and then labeling these foods and then uh, adding the glycemic index and glycemic food labels, then running a clinical trial for over a thousand people, including 250 people with type two diabetes, and then creating our prediction models, um, turning then, uh, so, so how we can do this, how can we predict? Because we've gone through all this work to be able to say that for George, um, this is how he's going to respond to a glass of Chardonnay. Uh, like we've actually seen this in people where somebody can spike on one glass of Chardonnay, somebody doesn't spike until they have three glasses of Chardonnay. And it could be that the person with three glasses of Chardonnay is always eating cheese with, with when they're having their Chardonnay. Sure. And the other person is just sipping on Chardonnay by itself. Um, so we can see these things and we can, we can help people understand how much of something to have. So how do we do it? It's our AI capability. It's our, it's our primary differenti differentiator where we're able to essentially model for you specifically how you're going to respond to any of the 16 million foods in our, in our database. And with that knowledge, you can decide whether to take that next bite or not, you know, what you're going to throw into your grocery basket, how much of something you can enjoy. So again, we don't believe that you should deprive people. We don't think that's sustainable. We don't think putting people on a keto diet for five years is sustainable, nor is it healthy. We think it's important that people live in real world with real foods because they're going to get invited to birthday parties and they're going to go to the restaurant and they're going to, they're going to go to a potluck and they people are social animals. They're not going to just, you know, eat from an encyclopedia. Um, so I think they need to be able to live in the real world. But I say that because there are some products out there that just, um, that are encyclopedic or at the end you go through all the, all the stuff that they put rigmarole, they put you on, take this blood test, do that microbiome test at the end, say, eat this, eat these 10 things and don't eat these 10 things. I don't find that very useful. Um, I mean, it's informative for sure, but what do I do today? I'm sitting at a cafe with my friends. Should I eat it or not? You know, where was my list? So um, we sort of see January as a way of just helping you live in real world every day. It's got to fit into our lives. Otherwise yes. it's not going to work. Right. Machine. Love it. 
Well, Machine, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can we sign up with January? They can learn more at January.ai. Um, we also have a wonderful blog that we keep working on and improving. So look for more on that as well. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Nusheen your appreciation and share today's episode with somebody else who appreciates good ideas, go to January.ai and get involved with the season of me and start really paying attention to your health and your life and the solution that actually fits into it. So thanks again, Nusheen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.